When I was younger, I have very vivid memories of when my family and I would go camping. It was my favorite thing to do, and we always tried to go at least twice a year, whenever warmer weather would allow it. For a long time, it was that way. Always the same campsite too. There was a post by the campsite that we used to mark how tall I was each time we went. Thin, dark lines showing the passage of time. Then, we just stopped going. I would ask my dad why we didn't go anymore, and he would offer vague excuses. With a wave of a hand, he would tell me he was just too busy and was never willing to go further into the discussion. It was not until I was a bit older when I figured out what might have been the real reason. As a kid, memories of our final camping trip were not all that odd, since I just didn't understand what happened. But with enough time, hindsight had made it clear why my father did not want to go back. I remember wandering off the campsite. I didn't walk all that far away, and I could swear it had only been a few minutes. And then I heard my dad scream for me. Not a scream you'd expect to hear when first calling out for someone. It was a ragged, and desperate cry, like the shaking howl of someone pleading for something that they had already convinced themselves was not going to happen. I went towards his voice and he saw me. He dropped to his knees. It was almost like he didn't believe I was real. Tears were caking blotches of dirt that stuck on his face. He gave me one of those never letting you go hugs. I was so confused. It had only been a minute or two, but he looked so out of sorts. There were other people too. They all crowded around us, relief washing over their faces. For a while, my dad did not take his eyes off me. For me, it was a few minutes, but for him, it must have been different. Longer. Even with the hindsight, I couldn't make sense of it. But I knew my dad was too afraid of it happening again. So we just stopped going. But unfortunately for my father, the memories had the opposite effect on me. I became obsessed with trying to find out what happened to me that day. It was a yearning that never went away. As I got older, I got better and analyzed the data and sifted through various cases I could find online. I studied forest maps and tried to track trajectories and tried to put myself in the missing person's shoes. I even started to study in fields I thought would be relevant throughout college, stuff like psychology, biology, and anything I could find relating to the forest and landscapes. This continued well into my 20s. When I was around 27, I had come across a missing persons flyer in my town. A kid had gone missing in the same park I vanished in, a park I knew like the back of my hand. I joined the search party for the boy as his mother showed us where he vanished. After trekking through the forest trying my best to imagine a child, frightened and desperately searching for his mother, I came across the boy. He was sitting on a lone rock near a stream probably going to the only noise he could hear. When I saw the mother's face, it reminded me of my father, and I was hooked. I had been unsure what career path I wanted to take, but I knew at that moment where my life was going, so I took the money I had saved up and started up my small business, a private contractor of sorts. A smile crept across my aging father's face when I told him what I was doing. My dad passed away when I was 32, but I'd like to believe I managed to make him happy before he left. I would tell him any time I managed to find someone, when I was able to reconnect loved ones and make their families whole again. I told him a lot of the stories sitting at his bedside, 
That's where he told me, in his final moments, just how long I had begun as a child. Three days. Even if I remember time incorrectly, there is no way I would not have remembered three days passing. He knew that as well as I did. I did not have to tell him that I only remember being gone a few minutes. I'm sure he put those pieces together himself when he saw my clothing didn't have a bit of dirt on them. When I wasn't hungry, after he found me and all that, and I wasn't scared, nobody understood. I wasn't injured, anything. He must have known something beyond his understanding happened, but he was a logical guy, so he would have just refused to talk or even think about it. Before my father's passing, I was just helping recently missing people get found, though some questioned my ethics. People criticized me for not needing a 24-hour window to start looking for people. For making people pay me for my services and circumventing law enforcement. Though, to my credit, with that first point, if I found somebody, it was clear they didn't want to be found. I would return the client's deposit and let officials handle the case. Was what I was doing illegal? I don't know, maybe. After my father's death, though, I started looking into more abstract missing cases more commonly referred to online as Missing 411. Honestly, a lot of them could just be explained by inexperienced people not knowing what to do or where to go. The more interesting cases, however, were the ones in which seasoned explorers and the likes went missing without a trace, or when the traces they left didn't seem to add up. Stuff like shoes hanging in trees or clothing found miles away from where they went missing though it's possible animals could have produced the latter. As I continue to handle clients, people go missing far more often than you would expect. I was reading more and more about these strange missing 411 cases. Kids going missing as they pass by trees or adults seeming to just vanish in parking lots. I read through forums, people depositing theories and trying to rationally explain it. All types of stuff. Bigfoot aliens, or just mistaken directions were thrown around. It was a deep and bountiful rabbit hole. As I dove down it, I was surprised to come across a recent case that was not far from me. Ellie Wallings, 14, had gone missing in a state park. All that was found to indicate where he might have gone were some markings in the trees. Someone had carved arrows in the tree almost like Ellie was trying to remember which way he had gone. The arrows, however, appeared all over the forest. They will continue for a few trees before stopping and seemingly continue elsewhere. The only problem is, is these arrows are located sometimes miles apart in this large state park. While the park wasn't where I went missing, it was still a place I knew very well. I'd even volunteered to be a ranger to earn credits while in college. The arrows were not there when I was working the place or any time after I had visited. Before I had even finished reading the article, my mind was already made up. I grabbed a map of the park and tried to mark the locations where people have found the markings. There seemed to be no real pattern or predictability to them. There was no way to even know when the clusters of arrows were made. Which bunch was made after the other would be hard to discern, but possibly I would be able to look at the growth around the trees. Though, that was a long shot. After finishing up what I needed for work... I started heading to the national park that was only a few hours away. It crossed my mind that there was a very real possibility that the arrows did not relate to Ellie's status at all. 
Maybe they were caused by something completely independent of that. Something like geocaching, or people trying to remember their campsites. The drive was over before I knew it, and I climbed out of the car, popped the trunk, and retrieved all of my equipment. Most of it was just to make sure I didn't get lost myself, and that if there was something that caused long-range traversal, that I would be able to locate where I had been moved to. One footstep after another led me into the forest as the sun pressed amber rays through the trees. I made sure to head in later than most people would, so to make my efforts a little bit more untainted. Before cell phone signals got too choppy to rely on, I made sure to send a text out to a loved one to let them know where I was and what I was doing. Then the parking lot was lost behind me as I continued deeper into the forest. With map in hand, I traced my steps and made note of any notable sights. On the off chance, I ran into them again and accidentally doubled back. The closest and presumably first set of carved arrows were not necessarily too far into the woods. Only ten minutes or so had gone by, and I was already laying my eyes on the scratched bark. Following the first arrow, I quickly came upon another, and then another. There were six arrows seemingly evenly spaced before they stopped appearing. The last arrow was also pointed downward at an angle, almost like it was pointing to the small clearing before me, rather than the forest ahead. I initially ignored this and began walking through the small open space, trying to figure out and follow the path of the arrows. Though the clusters of arrows didn't line up on paper, I figured I could see if the twisting paths trees take you on would eventually lead me to the next cluster. Still, there was a crawling sensation that ran across my body as I stepped into the clearing, like my intuition was screaming at me. I slowly walked around the circle. After just a few minutes of going around, I noticed a very slight angling of my foot. The angle would change as I walked around. The more I looked at the ground, the more I could see that the fallen leaves and brush seemed to be cluttered in the middle as if the ground was like a cone. Feeling a faint sense of danger, I reached into my backpack to grab some sort of rope in there, and as I walked to a nearby tree, I felt my body drop. Without warning, I fell through the earth and my ankles nearly twisted as I made impact with the surface below. Stumbling, my body crashed to the floor where I laid, trying to take in my surroundings, dazed and confused. Fingers scanned the area. All of it seemed to just be tightly compacted dirt. Scattered stones would flick against my fingernails here and there. The place I had fallen into was dark, the only light coming from the light above my head from where I had fallen. With my rope in hand, I was already thinking about how I would climb back out, as I figured my mystery had just been solved. Reaching into my backpack that had thankfully made the trip with me, I pulled out a weighty chrome cylinder and with a click a beam of light shot out. The beam fell over the surrounding area, and for the most part, I was correct. The walls were concave, which meant I wouldn't be able to climb out of them. Though, what I didn't expect were to see long thin columns of white that ran up the wall. The columns had bulges that were placed at least a foot from each other. It didn't take much more than a cursory glance to recognize them. These were bones. Whether they were from humans or animals, I don't know. They varied in size and seemed to have been picked clean. Some of the bones were starting to decay, but others were in pristine white condition. They looked museum ready. I think in that moment, my mind was still trying to take everything in. I was lucky that my ankles didn't just shatter, but they were still burning. 
Pointing the flashlight up, I could see just how far I was from the hole that I had fallen into. As my flashlight was pointed up, a figure from the side came into frame. Did you know that it isn't a fight or flight response? It's supposed to be fight, flight, or freeze, with freeze being the most common way for the body to react to unexpected stress. The body slows down so it can assess the threats and think before acting. The thing walked into my flashlight's beam revealing the details of its small and dainty frame. It was like the size and shape of a toddler, but its arms and legs were longer than you've ever seen on a child. The flashlight's beams made it kind of apparent that its pale skin was translucent as I could see the veins running underneath its skin. The creature effortlessly climbed the walls, thinning fingers piercing the dirt supporting the small frame. The bones that lined the walls seemed to guide the creature. It pressed its face against the walls and ran its face against the bones as it climbed higher. When it reached the top of the cave between the light protruding from the hole and my flashlight, I got a good look at its finger details. The thing's eyes were... Well, they didn't look much like eyes at all. Rather, they resembled tumors. Two large masses that ballooned the skin covering it. I could see similar veins running underneath the translucency of the creature's eyes. It was then I figured the thing was probably completely blind. When a small portion of sunlight hit the creature's skin, I could hear a small hiss emit within the silence of the space. I thought initially the creature had made noise, but upon seeing a thin trail of smoke rise from the skin where the sun had hit it, I discovered that it had been burnt by the sun. Sunlight was, mind you, already diluted by the canopy of trees. It was then I realized that this thing appeared like deep water fishes. Deep underwater, many marine lives have evolved to have transparent skin, so it can get nutrients from whatever small traces of sunlight made it down that far. The creature above me, however, quickly got to work patching up the hole my body created. It would grab clumps of dirt from the walls and spew a thick and frothing saliva into it before compressing it. Then it would press it against the part of the hole, like it was sculpting the closing out of clay. At one point, the sun touched its hand, causing the creature to drop some of the dirt as it hit the ground beside me. It snapped its head to the noise. I could see the lumps it had on its face, flaring up in a deep red blood color rush to the area. The skin rose and fell like a set of lungs. My body lay completely still, and my breath became still, waiting for the moment to pass. Starting to understand how the creature operated, I was curious to avoid making a noise. When what felt like hours had passed, the thing turned its attention back to the hole, and I watched my beacon of hope slowly being covered up. The beam of light became smaller and smaller until it was nothing, and the only part of the light was left was my flashlight. It seemed the artificial light did not bother the creature. Thankfully, with the hole covered up, the creature started its descent, Small holes being left in the wall where claws were dug in. Carefully and slowly, I followed the movements with my flashlight keeping an eye on it. With the frame back on the floor, it started retreating from the tunnel it arrived from. The tunnel would be a tight squeeze, but something I could maneuver through. It would be plenty of room for a child or someone elderly. More gruesomely, it would be an easy fit for me if something were to relieve me of a few limbs. My flashlight traced the creature's movements as it continued to rub its face along the walls. Bones also lined the side of the tunnel, though they run horizontally instead of vertically like the ones in the opening. 
This must be how the thing got around, using the bones to differentiate between open caverns and tunnels, maybe even using certain types of bones in specific places to create a map of sorts, a map I had no chance of trying to figure out. But I did have a map. Once the creature had gotten far enough away that I thought it would be safe, I slowly unzipped my backpack. Each unlatching tooth of the zipper sent a beat through my heart as I kept an eye on the tunnel, eyes adjusting to the darkness. As if I was playing Operation, I ever so carefully retrieved the map sitting in the backpack's pocket. The thought crossed my mind that I could try to collapse the walls around me and create a ramp of sorts, though there was no guarantee that would work, or that I just wouldn't bury myself. The walls were made of compacted dirt, but what was behind the walls could have been too loose and by the time I managed to get enough purchase, there was no way of knowing that the creature wouldn't return before I was done. I did have a knife. I could try to fight it off. The claws would do some gnarly damage if it was violent. Not to mention, I often find if you see one animal, chances are there are others. Instead, I opened the map and rested the beam of light on it. Studying where I had fallen and where the closest set of arrows were topside, I found a set not too far away, but it was not exactly what I needed. Instead, I opted for a further point. My mind was flooded with uncertainty and fear, but I had worked hard to not let those things get to me. That's how inexperienced people get lost or hurt. I had to keep my wits about me, no matter how bad my hands were shaking. Pulling a marker out of the same pouch I folded the map into, enough that I could just see two sets of arrow clusters, I was certainly making noise but nothing as loud as when I had fallen in, which I assumed alerted the creature in the first place. I imagined being a small child or even a seasoned hunter, not looking for such a thing, falling into a hole like that, likely getting hurt and wailing out in pain, not knowing a creature like that was after you. The compacted dirt seemed to work in my favor as I started pulling myself into the tunnel. The first soil made it easy to move and seemed to dampen the noise of my advance. I know, you're probably thinking of a hundred different ways I could have gotten out, smarter and more effective ways. Even looking back, I have ideas that flooded my mind, but it's so different in the moment. You must understand just how different it is. To be an outside observer of events with a gift of hindsight, of course there was a smarter way to do it. But to be there, to have fallen in, to have seen that creature and felt that fear wash over you, I was doing my best, the best I can, and to my credit, you're hearing this story now because I managed to get myself out. It wasn't easy. My ankles still scorched whenever I needed to put pressure on them and to move forward. The caves would get tighter occasionally and have to move slower to avoid making noise. I could hear a faint dripping of water the whole time I was in the cave system. Occasionally there would be a skittering nearby, something like a trowel digging through dirt. The tunnels all lined with the same white, so many bones. Some of them were clearly from animals, while others had more grisly implications. Sometimes the white would be tainted by dark stains of crimson that had dried, almost becoming the same color as the dirt around it. The paths were twisting and branched all over the place. Sometimes I would have to contort myself until I felt my bones urging me to stop just to move through a corner. All the while I kept the map in one hand, dirt occasionally fell on it, but the compacted nature of the tunnels kept most of the grime away. As I made it through the tunnels, I would draw a line on the map to try to represent my location, 
keeping track of turns and directions I was heading in. Slowly but surely, I was getting closer to the other hole. As I got more confident in my movements and how to shift my weight while making minimal noise in my pace, I started to pick up. Just as I reached an intersection of the tunnel, one of the creatures appeared, their faces inches from mine. I froze instantly, sat and prayed that it would just move into a different direction. I could see it so clearly, all the blood moving through its body. The thing looked a lot more like a jellyfish than anything you'd expect to see in the woods. My body started to itch. Minutes passed by as I was watching the thing. It had a hunk of meat in its hand, sharp and jagged teeth ripping the morsel apart. It would place its jaws around the food, open and close its mouth in a rapid succession, like it was blending the food up. I could see that same frothy saliva coat the area it chewed, and it became a paste-like substance. Then the creature slurped the contents up. A disgusting foul smell accompanied the sound like a vacuum sucking up nails. I don't know if it felt my breath on it, but the thing stopped and turned towards me, cocking its head to the side. The blood in its body rushed to the eye socks, again illuminating a threatening red as it sensed something was around it. Holding my breath, I waited and prayed. Then I heard clicking. It was from deeper in a tunnel to the side of the creature. It sounded like chalk slapping together. Then the creature before me chattered its teeth as if it were shivering, producing the same noise. This told me there was definitely more than one of these things around here, and they communicate using a series of clicks, almost like Morse code. Luckily for me, the communication must have been a call for attention, and the creature before me started moving to the sound of the other. Again, I waited, time ticking on as I listened to their claws getting further and further away. Once I couldn't hear them anymore and it was only the sound of dripping water, I continued forward. The sound of water got louder as I made my way through the tunnel system. I remembered hearing one aspect of the missing cases in this forest was that clothing would often be found by rivers. Bodies would go missing, but shirts and shoes would be found by running water on the map. Sure enough, there was a cluster of arrows by the lake. It took a while, God knows how long, but eventually I found an open cavern, and my flashlight reflected against a small pool of water on the ground. I let myself relax a little bit as I planned my attack. Pointing the light up, I could see where the water was falling where the tight soil must be at its loosest. The arrows were right by the riverbank. The area was also an incline, so the walls were angled differently than the hole I fell in. It was still a climb, but there was more surface area to work with and less of a conclave area. Letting my muscles calm down, I mentally prepared for the next minute or two. Knowing what I had to do, and knowing that I had to do it very quickly, especially considering the knowledge that more of those creatures were down there. Who knows how many. They got around based on sounds and touch. They would know the caves well enough to find the rushing water quickly. Their next meal trying to escape wouldn't be something they could pass up. Shuffling through my bag, I retrieved a few things that would give me an edge. First, my knife. Then I pulled out an emergency flare gun. I also got a small shovel I had put in there from my last camping trip. I had a few stakes in there as well. So gathering the stakes and the rope, I went to the entrance of the opening and placed the rope across it, holding it in place with the stakes being pressed into the soil. It wouldn't hold forever, but it might slow them down, or I hoped they would confuse the feeling of this with the bones that they used to get around. With my axe in hand, knife clamped between my teeth, and a flare gun in the other, I took a sharp breath in and leapt into action. 
Pulling the trigger on the flare gun, a light was sent down the tunnel where it rested burning tirelessly, illuminating the dark and the ominous red glow. I chucked the axe above me as hard as I could. It was sticking into the dirt, but I could see water running down the handle of it. I was in the right spot. I didn't want to weigh myself down anymore, so I made the decision to leave the rest of my backpack behind, other than the map stuffed in my back pocket. Using the purchase I had from the slope wall caused by the incline, I dug the knife into the side. The knife wasn't nearly as effective as those creatures' claws, but with the right angle and the handle digging into my skin, it was enough. My arm stretched out and I grabbed the axe handle, quickly pulling it loose to a larger stream of water falling through. I could see a soft beam of fading sunlight peeking through. There was a clicking, an all-too-familiar one. It was followed by a piercing cry that rattled my confidence. Looking to the tunnel, I could see them. They were behind the flare. They weren't scared, though. I could see where it had burned one of them, but instead of rushing past it. They grabbed the dirt from around them, soaked it in their saliva before dropping it onto the flare, snuffing out the flame. My heart raced. What I told you earlier about fight or flight? This time I refused to freeze. Another solid throw of the axe loosened more dirt, clumps falling to the ground and a steady stream of water rushing in. The creatures advanced, at least four of them from what I could see, climbing over each other just to get to me. Their faces pressed against the rope, and they'd turn their heads trying to follow it before smacking into the wall. The dirt had cleared enough though. I knew I could make it. Holding the knife and the axe, I plunged them into the wall, digging the tips of my shoes into the side as hard as I could, pulling myself up as I reached and grabbed a handful of dirt around the opening. Desperately, I clawed at the edges, pulling down, letting an increasing quantity of water spill in. I watched the creatures, and to my surprise, they had stopped. I thought they had come at me with everything, throwing their bodies at me mindlessly, but instead, they grabbed dirt from around them and started closing the tunnel. The water started reaching them, but by the time it would have gotten to them, the hole I climbed through was gone. I clung to the wall, shocked, almost upset that my big action hero plan didn't play out like I was hoping. The things just cut their losses. With the chamber filling up with water, I floated up and was eventually able to just climb out of this anticlimactic spot. When I was out, I just sat there, going over everything in my head. But all things must move forward. I couldn't just sit there. I especially didn't want to be around at sundown in case these things were going to come out and move more freely. It was getting dark by the time I was almost out, though. The sky, a soft gray above me, scattered with clouds. A surreal feeling washed over me as I reached the parking lot, believing what I had just experienced. I watched the clouds drifting. I almost was not surprised when one of the bright stars I was watching seemed to start drifting around, back and forth, blinking all the while as if it knew I could see it, like it was putting on a show. Then it just zipped off, and like the creatures below my feet, it was gone. Climbing into the car, I felt the engine hum to life, and I started my way home. Yes, I did tell the authorities about it. Showed them the map, that the arrows were indicative of trap sites, that there were likely many, many more unmarked graves. But, surprisingly, they didn't seem to take me too seriously while promising me they'd investigate it. I'd like to go back, destroy all of the openings I knew of, but what good would that do? Those things would just make new ones, unmarked ones. That's how they live, it's how they hunt. They're not going to just stop. Maybe there's something I can do, I don't know. Still working on that thought process. 
I don't think putting a sign that says, Don't go into the woods, subterranean monsters trying to trap you, would keep many people away. By now, you might have been having the same thought I did when driving home. That while those tunnels and creatures might explain the strange disappearances within that national park in specific, it sounds nothing like what I experienced as a child. No lost time, nothing. And maybe that's the problem. For so long, I've been trying to find one singular cause for missing persons lost between the trees. Maybe there isn't one. Maybe out there are several different threats lingering through the tree line. Maybe each forest has its own. That's why these cases can be so tough. They're varied in happenstance, but I'm not going to stop looking. I'm not going to stop pushing back, and maybe one day, I find the reason I got lost in the woods. All those years ago. Not for a while, though. I need some rest. And I have some phone calls to make. I need some time just to be thankful that I made it out alive. I know where the missing 411 are going. Thanks for listening to this creepy story written by author Jojo, inspired off the missing 411 phenomenon. If you enjoyed this story, please be sure to hit that like button as it helps me out a ton. The more likes this episode gets, the more YouTube promotes it in the algorithm, and that's incredibly helpful to the channel. If you're listening to this on iTunes or another podcast platform, give this episode a 5-star rating, as that helps us out a ton over there. If you're new to the channel, why not join us? Hit that subscribe button and turn on notifications to never miss a new episode as I upload them nearly every single day on all things natural and supernatural. If you have a story that you would like to share in a future episode, please be sure to submit it at swampdweller.net or the email you can find in the description down below. I'd love to share your story with everyone here in the swamp. It's stories like yours that truly help keep this show going on a daily basis. If you're on the go but don't have YouTube Premium, but still want to listen to your favorite Swamp Dweller scary stories no matter where you are, you can download them absolutely free from iTunes, Spotify, Stitcher Radio, and pretty much anywhere else you find your favorite podcast online. If you would like to support the Swamp outside of hitting that like button, subscribing, and giving us a 5-star rating on iTunes, maybe check out the merch store. I've got t-shirts, hoodies, and more. I'd love to see you guys wearing some cool Swamp threads. Thank you guys, as always, for supporting these stories. It's really, really appreciated, and I'll see you guys soon. Be sure to hit me up on Instagram, Twitter, and Facebook, and I'll see you guys with another creepy video.